Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Just a Bite series, posted December 10, 2021, titled Exvangelical's Unique Deconversion Story, Identical to Every Other Deconversion Story, Babylon B Response. Welcome to Apologia, where today, a former Christian is looking at the claims of Christians about former Christians, from the fine folks at the Babylon Bee. Here are some strange but true Bible facts. Before the KJV, Christians just rolled a D20 to find out what God wanted them to do. They've been skewering their own for a while now. It was only a matter of time before they'd come after me. Depending on your immersion into the Christian culture, you may or may not be familiar with the satire news organization, the Babylon Bee. They're basically the onion, but for right-wing evangelical Christian Americans. Not to be confused with the Daily Bonnet, which is a satire news site for Mennonites, who really shouldn't have internet access in the first place. As I used to be part of the Babylon Bee's precise target audience, I can still often find humor in their daily joke headlines, from classics like Lego introduces new sharper bricks that instantly kill you when you step on them. NBA players wear special lace collars to honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and people with dirt on Clintons have 843% greater risk of suicide. To hot takes on the trending news, like Smollett, the true attackers were inside me all along and unemployment rate among Cuomo brothers rises to 100%. But I most enjoy their inside joke digs at the evangelical church. Like, church deacon carefully measures out a half teaspoon of grounds to make a giant vat of coffee. King James' only pastor leads congregation in chant of Knoweth Joe Biden, and Holy Spirit unable to move through congregation as fog machine breaks. What was once just a website has been expanding to other platforms, including a pretty big YouTube presence. And since the hottest trend in evangelical churches is having people leave said evangelical churches, it was only a matter of time before they posted a video poking fun at the trend of deconstruction, deconversion, and identifying as an ex-evangelical. Now before anyone's feathers get too ruffled, Keep in mind that the Babylon Bee video is intended as a joke, so treat it as such. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves. While I don't normally respond to videos that are intended to be humorous, this one struck a chord, and I think it's worth talking through it with a few perspectives in mind. First, there's obviously a kernel of truth to all the digs. To some extent, this is how evangelicals perceive ex-evangelicals and it's always good to understand how we're being viewed. Sometimes we ex-evangelicals are our own worst public relations enemies by unnecessarily feeding negative stereotypes. Second, 
I'd like to share some thoughts with my Christian viewers about why some of these characterizations may be skewed or the reasons why they might be accurate and you might help us through them for better relationships for all. Here we go. I was raised in the church. I participated in youth group, went on multiple mission trips. If you look at people in their late teens, early 20s, raised in an evangelical church, these are the two most major touch points to demonstrate that they are very serious about Christianity, more than their friends who just get dragged to Sunday morning worship service by their parents. Some bonus additions could have been junior worship team, Sunday school teacher, or member of the Christian club at school. Girls could maybe provide baking. That's pretty much the limit for involvement for someone at that age in many evangelical churches. You'll notice that the Babylon Bee wanted to infantilize the faith of their character, so it makes sense to stop her growth at the level of a teen. I guess you could have called me an evangelical. Normally, I avoid discussion of people's physical appearance or characteristics or wardrobe choices, but today we're watching a scripted fictional character who was obviously deliberately outfitted with a costume. The folks over at the Babylon Bee needed to design an ex-evangelical costume, and this is what they came up with. As fashion isn't exactly my wheelhouse, I asked my social media followers what we can learn about what evangelicals think about ex-evangelicals based on what they gave her to wear. I'm assuming Geraldima identifies as a female. Because the Babylon Bee has a hard enough time writing for an atheist. I wouldn't expect them to attempt the extra degree of difficulty of a non-cis atheist. The first thing that many noticed is that she has a low-cut top, possibly to signal loose morals or promiscuity. But at the same time, the people who financially support the Babylon Bee are conservative Christians, who wouldn't want flagrantly provocative clothing on their Christian channel. So this giant pendant is serving double duty as some kind of symbol of new age quasi-spiritualism and as a modesty shield while still implying non-modesty. As far as anyone can tell, it's not a particular pendant, but maybe represents crystals or some kind of worship of nature that has replaced the cross pendant she likely would have worn earlier. The flannel shirt possibly indicates what an evangelical assumes a lesbian would wear, or perhaps just associating her with the Pacific Northwest region and being a left-wing liberal hippie. Her fingernails are black, like her soul. However, there seems to be no obvious symbolism for her pants being up so high. Why are her pants up so high? And finally, you'll notice her giant hexagon earrings. Now this may be a bit of a stretch, but if you watched Marvel's WandaVision, You'll recall that the hexagon shape is associated with the Scarlet Witch's hex magic throughout the series. And in the House of M comic, which is the source material for both WandaVision and possibly the upcoming Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, we know that the source of Wanda's hex magic is none other than... Mephisto. Marvel's Devil. So, these are clearly witchcraft devil earrings. Are we reading too much? Maybe they just hired an actress and told her to dress like someone from the 90s. Hard to tell. But now, I'm an ex-evangelical. Ex-evangelical is a portmanteau word, shortening ex-evangelical into something catchier and easier to say. According to lore, the word traces back to 2016, 
when Blake Chastain started using it as a Twitter hashtag and the name of his podcast. I've been following hashtag Exvangelical on Twitter for years. I find the post there to be reassuring, to learn that others share my common experiences. Heartbreaking to see the damage done to individuals in the church and in the wake of their leaving it and occasionally laugh out loud funny to reflect back on our more indoctrinated lives. I guess if we're going to dish it, we need to take it from the Babylon Bee, right? If you're interested in building your personal community, some other hashtags to follow would be Empty the Pews, Deconstruction, and Deconstructed. I should also note that not everyone who uses hashtag Exvangelical has left Christianity entirely. Many have emerged to simply move on to other denominations or simply found their own personal Christianity that works for them. And my unique deconversion story that is exactly the same as every other deconversion story must be told. It's funny because it's true, they say. If you were to go to my friend Neil the 604 Atheist's channel, he has over 300 interviews with atheists, most of whom deconverted from a religion. You can find my story there. You know, I jokingly say in my in my first video online, which a lot of people reference, that Ken Ham made me an atheist. Now, Ken Ham basically started to be quest on on my path of questioning things I'd been told. That's really all he did. Now, if you listen to these stories one after the other, you definitely do start to hear patterns and commonalities. Of course, deconversion is a process, and many of life's processes have commonalities for people. Puberty, traveling on a plane, taking a driver's test, getting married, having kids, buying a house. It's a bit insulting to say that everyone's story about the birth of their first child is exactly the same, even though it's not entirely untrue to say that most are pretty similar. Most of the time, the story is meaningful primarily because of an existing relationship with the parents. And we care about the emotional impact to them, more so than to learn something brand new in the area of birthing. One of those patterns is absolutely an initial phase of having eyes open to new information, new thought processes, and new perspective. This is often accompanied with some combination of enthusiasm and anger, for a period of time. And when something is new to you, it's easy to assume that it's new to others as well, even if it's not. For those who deconverted a while ago, there's probably no lesson to be learned from this observation, since we can't go back and redo those first emotional days. And we can't exactly prepare Christians in advance for the day that it all falls apart for them. Nor would I want to dampen that initial enthusiasm, frankly. It drives normalizing in the process, since at some point, most former Christians move on with their lives and spend no more time engaging in the religion of their past. I had a DTR with Jesus at a very young age. I had to look this up. Apparently, DTR is defined the relationship, which is language borrowed from the dating world and applied to the spiritual. This is an effective tactic with teens because you can tap into their pairing and mating urges and try to divert that passion elsewhere. Anyhow, DTR is a conversation where two people discuss their mutual understanding of the status of their romantic relationship. Casual, serious, other. This is a double-sided mock on the Babylon Bee's part. At the evangelical culture that co-ops sexual language, but also further diminishing Geraldine's Christian faith as a shallow one. 
more akin to Tinder than a committed relationship. I loved him. <laughs> I probably would have called him my boyfriend if I hadn't kissed dating goodbye. <sighs> this is a little ironic, as the author of the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye, Joshua Harris, recently had his own high-profile exvangelical deconversion moment in the spotlight a few years ago. I'm sure the Babylon Bee did that intentionally. But then, a college professor asked me how a loving God could oppose homosexuality. Not an unreasonable question. And it occurred to me that I had never once thought about what I believed. Again, this is a deep cut with a double-edged sword. The video wants to point out how shallow Geraldima's faith was, so that her leaving should be of no surprise to the stronger, more serious Christians. She was never really a Christian. Her friends and family will be able to say, This TikTok video is also making the rounds this week, making the same assertion in a more straightforward way. You and I are in a day and age where deconstruction and the turning away from and leaving the faith has become some sort of sexy thing to do. I contend that if you ever experience the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, actually, that that's really impossible to deconstruct from. But if all you ever understand Christianity to be is a moral code, then I totally get it. Dr. William Lane Craig laid out the same charges against me personally. If you listen to uh, clips of his testimony, that he said, I was too busy yeah, to yeah. ever investigate any of this for myself. I just believed it. I believed uh, that those who were over me in leadership, I guess pastors, teachers, I took their word for it. Uh, apparently they had investigated it and I could trust them. He, he was had a brain-dead Christian faith, and that is an inherently unstable and precarious faith. Now, this is clearly a poisoning the well tactic an attempt by the remaining Christians to downplay and discredit those who have left among those in the flock who might be persuaded to follow. In Dr. Craig's case, as a way to spin an ad hominem or genetic fallacy against my arguments against the resurrection of Jesus that he was about to try to defend. Poorly, if I may editorialize. But here's the thing. They're also not wrong about me and about many. A huge portion of those sitting in the pews on Sunday, or merely associating themselves with the Christian label as cultural inheritance, haven't spent any serious time thinking about their faith. I agree that such a person failed a responsibility to themselves to be rigorous and intentional, but self-assessment isn't something that many people get around to for a variety of reasons, good and bad. It's much easier to accept what one is taught at face value, to believe a thing because everyone around you believes it, to adopt the same perspective as our social and support network. That the most prevalent Christian experience is one of shallow acceptance rather than the conclusion to a personal intellectual journey is less of a shame to the ex-evangelicals and more the deep shame of the evangelical churches who prioritize emotions, activities, and social cohesion. Members are trained to think of the church as a social club. I was stunned to think that he was so involved in church work and other responsibilities that he had no time for personal study. 
And that's an indictment of the church as well as, as of him, um, that the intellectual life of this person was just allowed, well, it was, it was stagnant. This is, of course, also a poor reflection on the evidential foundation of Christianity, that so many fall away after intentionally looking for intellectual reasons to stay, but finding nothing solid. And I abandoned my faith like that. For myself and many, deconversion was a long process. This is eventually the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back, but it's more of a death by a thousand cuts than a single fatal blow. Since then, I have learned all kinds of arguments against Christianity. Did you know that there are other religions? Explain that, Christians. This sounds like a joke, but in my Mennonite culture, and similarly with Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and simply a town where 99% of the people go to the same church, there being other religions is as distant a concept as knowing that there are other planets. You know, but it doesn't affect you. A lot of people go their first few decades, or their whole lives, without serious interactions with people from other faiths. Churches create in-groups and out-groups, and mixing with the out-group is bad. After my Christian faith fell away, it was incredibly impactful to think about the fact that the two strongest indicators of what religion one holds is the religion of their parents and the country into which they are born. If I'd been born elsewhere, in another time, I may well have worshipped Baal instead of Jesus with the best of intentions. Or did you know that some people have had bad experiences with people at church? I'd love to hear the apologetics to explain that one. Having a bad experience is every bit as legitimate a reason to leave a group as intellectual dissent. I have my own religious trauma, but I wouldn't label any of it bad experiences. And so I sometimes find myself getting defensive to try to prove that my exit was of the head and not the heart. But in doing so, I hope I'm not devaluing those whose reasons were experiential. And of course, the actions of individual Christians says nothing about the truth value of the core propositions of Christianity. I suspect that the distribution curve of bad actors and harmful behavior is strikingly consistent no matter what group you might wish to study. Christians, atheists, pagans, republicans, Democrats, Europeans, Americans, iPhone users, Android users. The basic realities of human nature applies equally everywhere. And I don't want to get too heady. I'm not sure how intellectual you want to get, but have you heard of science? If God was real, then why science? Science. Checkmate. Again with the double-edged sword. Science can dispel some particular notions held by not insignificant portions of the evangelical population. That the Earth is less than 10,000 years old. That the planet was ever covered with water from a single flood. That humans are a special creation without common ancestry to other animals. I held those beliefs, and it was pretty shattering to discover I was wrong about them. With a commitment to learning... I eventually arrived at the understanding that science itself doesn't disprove, and indeed has virtually nothing to say about, core tenets of Christianity, like the existence of a god in a supernatural realm. Science is limited to studying the natural world, 
so there's no checkmate here. On the flip side, out of fear that science will dispel some of the sacred interpretations of Scripture, modern evangelicals have fostered an unofficial policy that scientists are to be disbelieved, not only in matters of origins, but in all matters. Climate change, vaccines, medicine, technology, you name the science, and there are pockets of evangelicals against it on principle. If Geraldima was raised like this, it's not a silly question to ask her peers, have you heard of science? I just can't believe not a single other evangelical has ever thought about this, except for all those other ex-evangelicals who abandon the faith in the exact same way. While obviously inaccurate globally, it can certainly feel to someone deconstructing that no one in their social circles have had these same thoughts. In some cases, that's probably true. In my church tradition, seeking answers was downplayed. I know that I know that I know that I know. In other situations, there may well be members of one's faith community that have wrestled with the same thoughts and questions and landed back safely in their faith community with enough resolution to satisfy. However, due to the church's pervasive fear of admitting challenges and doubts, our protagonist was likely unaware that such people existed. When I was a Christian, I had so much self-doubt. I judged other people all the time, and I felt overwhelmingly repressed all in the name of Christ. This isn't everyone's experience, but yep. It's a worldview built on the notion that nothing you do can ever be good enough. Now that I no longer believe in that stuff, I have so much self-doubt. I judge other people all the time, and I'm repressed like never before. All in the name of myself. While this is the opposite experience of me and so many ex-evangelicals that I know, obviously this is the perception of the folks at the Babylon Bee, and it's likely based on actual interactions with ex-evangelicals. Self-doubt is a personal thing that I suspect occurs in any ideological group with similar distribution patterns. Maybe judgment and repression are the same way. Perhaps Christians feel judged when they're being challenged on their basic beliefs or social attitudes. If you have an idea where the repression part comes in, let me know your ideas in the comments. Christians don't realize how dogmatic and controlling their religion is. Like now on Sundays, I can do yoga or complain about the no dogs rule at the farmer's market. Those sound like fine Sunday activities to me. Perhaps yoga was chosen because some evangelicals associate it with occult practice rather than focused stretching. So it seems extra heretical. Instead of going to the church or feeding the homeless. Ugh. Oh, the disdain. Like every Christian is always feeding the homeless, and no former Christian ever would. Geraldima's practically a villain. Instead of reading the Bible, I can read quotes on Instagram. So, just last week, the bee jided Christians about too much Instagram. Studying the Bible is a lifelong pursuit. That's why it's important that you read out-of-context Bible verses on Instagram at least a few times a week. Social media use isn't correlated with religiosity. And when someone is telling me their prayer request, I can freely wait until it's my turn to talk and then make their problem about me. I mean, from my experience, that's pretty much what the Christians around me did, sometimes even during group prayers. Again, being inconsiderate isn't correlated with religiosity. Instead, what I do see is ex-evangelicals wanting to lash back at evangelicals who say they're praying. 
I understand fully that from a non-believer perspective, that praying is doing literally nothing to help. But try to realize or remember that from a Christian perspective, praying is the best thing they can do. They may well mean well. Setting aside the pervasive Christian practice of saying you'll pray and then not even doing that. To that end, I hope Christians out there will understand how hollow prayer promises can seem to a non-believer. If you can pair it with some kind of practical help, that can go a long way to making your concerns feel genuine. The idea of evangelism is so offensive. To try to convince people that your beliefs are right while their beliefs are wrong is reprehensible. I don't actually share this sentiment. If you honestly believe that I'm going to burn in hell forever and do nothing to try to stop it, that's reprehensible. <laughs> you should be trying to save me! Don't boss me! This is why you're going to hell! I am not going to hell! And if you think I'm going to hell, you should care that I'm going to hell, even though I am not. I may quibble over time and place and tact and tactics, but I don't judge Christians at all for any zeal in sharing faith. Your mileage may vary depending on the flavor of Christian doctrine you hold. And I've now made it my life's mission to convince people of that. I agree that such a sentiment would be hypocritical. What isn't hypocritical is the notion that everyone should pursue true beliefs and actively encouraging people to engage in that pursuit and constantly evaluate what we believe and why. Of course, this requires me to equally accept that I could be wrong and adjust myself when new information comes to light. The fact that I came to grips with being wrong about something as important to me as my Christian faith has, believe it or not, led me to a place of less dogmatism. If I could be wrong about that, I could be wrong about anything. I could even be wrong about Christianity being wrong. This is the path of pursuing truth. I can't believe I used to stand on the sidewalk asking people if they wanted to hear the four spiritual laws. How arrogant do you have to be to do that? I don't know if it's arrogant. It's definitely rude and ineffective. <sighs> Sorry, Christians. You don't get to tell people their beliefs are wrong. I do. This hits home for me. The idea that Christians might think that I'm simply telling them their beliefs are wrong. I mean, I am. But I hope that what I do on Apologia is an attempt to demonstrate why specific claims are probably not correct and allow the viewer to come to their own conclusions. There's no one out there you're going to agree with 100% on everything, but still forming and keeping relationships with humans is important. Whether the disagreement is theism, politics, sports teams, the ideal room temperature, or what ingredients are allowed on a pizza, we all need to find the balance of tolerating differences that aren't important and giving gentle persuasion in the areas of importance with the Great Divide. I'm not sure this little skit from Babylon B helped in that endeavor. I think that if I were to produce a video on how all Christian conversion stories are the same repetition of shallow emotional reasons, that would be counterproductive. I still reserve the right to infer that Lee Strobel and J. Warner Wallace have the same conversion story, because they do. They're the same picture. But I'm glad that this Babylon Bee video gave me a chance to talk some things out. 
Hey, if you like that video, you can help us make more videos like that by joining. Do it now. Smash the join button and you can become a member, a B Superfan, and you'll be a lot cooler than everyone else. Until next time, later.